Welcome to this last edition of the Real Deal Podcast on this 25th of October 2020 as we discuss episode four, Hamsterdam of The Wire season three. As always, I'm joined by one Robert Sapp. We are back. We are back discussing The Wire. Sapp, how you doing? Doing very well, sir. Hope everybody's staying safe, staying dry. Yeah, yeah. Ugly day outside, frankly. Mm-hmm. Temperature and then you know the rain after a string of days of beautiful weather, especially on Friday. Well, yesterday was nice too. It was Friday, which is yeah, yesterday was really nice. Yeah, so it's about you know this fall. It's about to be November. I mean, we've been yeah, yeah, yeah. We here should be getting cooler. <laughs> we here. We definitely are. So episode four, uh, Hamsterdam. We see Bunny Coleman try to invoke his ideal, his his change of what the war on drugs should look like. Um, this episode was directed by one Ernest Dickerson, who's been around for a long time. Um, Vulture had it ranked all time 31, pretty good. Um, 31 all time out of, out, of, uh, out of 60 wire episode. Epigraph, why you gotta go and fuck with the program, food. Who is, of course, a soldier of uh, one of the soldiers of the uh, Marlowe's gang? Themes. I had a theme just simply the truth hurts. A lot of characters, a lot of situations had a difficult time, difficult time with dealing with their truths and their realities of their particular situations. Opening scene, we see the police, Colvin and Carcetti, all at the same event at a community meeting. Uh, as uh, Colvin Carcetti, as Carcetti and Marla and Marla Daniels look on, uh, Colin Colvin just comes out. You know, you got a bunch of just angry uh, community members, members of the community who just see no end to, you know, how they're being affected by the drug war. And you have a number of neighbors just complaining about kid, you know, drug dealer, drug dealers selling uh, selling on their their porches and their neighborhoods, and basically they're calling out the police uh, for their bullshit. But before Colvin gets on, you have one police officer and we've been in these, you've been in these meetings before where the person who's trying to run a meeting just has no chance amongst the crowd who is or who are like a bunch of lions, you know, or sharks who, who sniff out. Like the guy, the guy, that guy, that first officer just had no chance. He's trying to, has he has his charts and graphs and he just had no chance. And Colvin gets up there. Colvin just basically just comes out and just says, look, we can go. I can sit up here and sell you a bill of goods. I'm not. Those dudes, those boys are still going to be on their corners. We're going to be, you're going to be in your houses. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to just, you know, run, I'm not just going to give you some bullshit. He didn't say that, but he, you know, that's, that's basically what his, what, what his premise was. And then you see uh, Carcetti, Speaking briefly with uh, Marla Daniels, they get they get an introduction. We then we, we find out that Marla Daniels is of course running against Unetta Perkins, and um, and then Carcetti, Colvin's second in charge, second second in, in command. Mello said, Lieutenant Mello basically says, you know, have you lost your mind? Um, you know, have you lost your mind? But but Colvin is like, look, we can't. This this can no longer be a lie. Uh, what was your thoughts on this 
this layered opening scene where there's seemingly a lot going on besides COVID with the Carchetti and introduction of Carchetti and Daniels, Daniels meet. Yeah, a couple of things. I mean, like two things that you said earlier actually make a lot of sense in terms of like for this this episode. Um, one about theme, the thing that I would add on to this is like, this is the theme of like reform. This is where kind of the reform characters actually start really, really um, moving um, as pieces on the board. Uh, so that's number one. And then number two, you said this was what, 30, 31? 31. Um, 31. Of, of, uh, of that vulture ranked. And I like that because um, as I was watching this episode, uh, the thing that just kept hitting me over and over again is just that this was such a well-balanced episode. Like, well-balanced to, to the point. I can't, I was trying to think of any other television show um, episode that I've watched in any other series, uh, particularly any of the prestige TV series that it was this balanced and I just couldn't come up with one. Um, and so I think to your point, like that's what was going on in this opening scene. The reason why it felt so meaty is because um, it wasn't specifically what was going on. It's what, what was going on and what it was saying for the deeper themes of the show. Yeah, no, there's no question about that. Um, we see Cuddy, um, she cut it working out. Um, probably was nothing. It was a quick scene, but um, just we that I think the fact it wasn't a big deal that he's working out. I just think the fact that he was was him following the opening scene was not by accident. Showing him following, showing Coven then Cuddy was no coincidence. I think they did that for a reason. Even though this uh, scene was him just working out, and you know, basically it was like thirty seconds to a minute. Uh, so you saw, so you see that. So that definitely would fall in the category of a, of a setup for, for it was going to be a heavy cutty scene. Um, then we see uh, Bubbles, McNulty, and Kima uh, snacking, eating on eating some on, on some McDonald's, which made me hungry with those hash browns. McDonald's hash browns, insane how good McDonald's hash browns are. So they are negotiating Bubbles' uh, pay rate. <laughs> Bubbles, they want some, they, they want information from Bubbles in regards to what the Barksdales have done since the towers went down and how, you know, are they getting along with the other crews and how that, how that, how all that is, is going down. So Bubbles negotiates like $5 an hour. Um, this, then he tells story, then they, you know, ask about Johnny and he says, you know, Johnny is just, you know, the laziest white boy in two shoes. And really, and we know Johnny doesn't want to work with the cops anyway. Uh, they've made that clear over the course of, of his time on the show. So Bubbles is back in business with McNulty and Kima as they are on, you know, try to find some more inf information about what, about just the fallout of the Franklin Towers and, and how that, that has that, how that has affected the drug trade in um, in West Baltimore. Uh, what were your thoughts on on this thing? Not on this thing, but on uh, this yeah, set up. About it. Cuddy, looking at Cuddy is going to work. Um, he's in the truck. He's in the back of the truck going uh, going to work as he looks over at some younger, some uh, some some younger deal, younger, we don't know what they I, I can't assume that they were dealers, but I guess they were supposed to, I guess they were supposed to be dealers. Range role, but you can tell Cuddy in that scene, it gets a brief scene as he stares 
it was two. It was two parts of that scene. Number one, him staring at those two younger uh, younger guys in that Range Rover, in that nice Range Rover, while he's in the back of a truck with about ten people, and then he has a stare to his supervisor who peeps what he's looking at and sees what he's looking at. That would be a big part of, of, of a scene that we'll see later on. Um, tell Cuddy had that itch, that, 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 that began the itch for Cuddy. We'll see how that plays out in this episode. What are your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, same. So we see Bunk, Herber, and Carver uh, Bunk, of course, is chasing down, is, is attempting to chase down Dozeman's gun. Dozeman's gun, of course, up to this point, he has had no luck whatsoever. He keeps continuously, keeps continuously running into just running into walls and, and no leads on that. So he goes and try. He rounds up a number of guys uh, along with Bunk, with the help of Herc and Carver, out of the out of the wagon, and basically asks them, gives them the, his card, and asks them about. Peanut and basically, and again, he knows that this is, he knows that uh, this is probably a dead end as well. Um, he gets nothing from these kids, of course. They, these kids don't, are not going to cooperate on, not going to cooperate with Bunk, uh, based on uh, based on him saying out, you know, one, you know, one hand washes the other, and I can make any charge disappear. So he gives him that bull, he gives him that bullshit uh, from that standpoint. And then after afterwards, when, the, when all the guys go back in the va- into the wagon, he um, as well, you know, had to try something. As as everybody in that scene, Herc, Carver, and Bunk knew that that was a, a, a probably a meaningless effort at, at trying to flip these boys to find that gun. Uh, what were your thoughts? Uh yeah, the setup. You see bubbles. Um, Bubbles is now, you know, on the trail. He's down and down, down these corners, looking, asking people or asking drug, not drug dealers, but asking people who are buying drugs about who are running the corners. He buys from a, a couple of dealers. He um, he buys drugs and gets, and he's buying drugs and, and asking questions. He's also he also um, gets Marlowe's plate number as he's sitting down, as he sits down on the stoop, gets Marlo's plate number um, while he was at it. Uh, so Bubbles immediately paying off big time dividends, uh, paying off big time dividends uh, for Akima and LT. What were your thoughts? Yeah, uh, you know, great way to put Bubbles back on the on the board in, in, in this. This is, this is, this is, why I can get critical when I'm saying like they what they did with Nolte in season two because this is the way that moves the character back onto the board. Bubbles has been out, they're putting him back on the board, but in a way that completely 100% makes sense and feels natural. And so it moves the story along, moves the character along, and makes sense to the story. Perfect writing. Absolutely, no question about it. It also gives you a sense of, and I, I, I think they've done this before throughout the course of the series, of what could have been for Bubbles if you know if things were broken right in his life. Like this guy, you know, we know we know he's a, you know we know he's a drug addict, but Bubbles has a lot of, has a lot of talent. He has a lot of, he has a lot of street smarts, and he you know he a focused Bubbles you know is very is a, can be a productive person. 
So I get, I think it gives you a sense of that as well as in, in regards to his character um, when he's focused and when he's focused on something and trying to obtain a, a goal. Um, so you had the detail of McNulty and Freeman. Um, this, was the, this was one of the big scenes of the, of the episode. So McNulty, everybody's doing a case that they don't want to do. This can tell me everybody knows that this case compared to what they should be doing, being on Stringer and Pop Joe. Everybody knows it is bullshit. Everybody knows that Kentel Williamson is not a big, is, is a barely a pawn on the chessboard, if, if that. But you have, you know, a faction in Freeman and Prez and the other cops who are just going along with Daniels out of loyalty and just saying, hey, we're just, we're doing what we're told, doing our jobs. While you have McNulty along with Kima who are clearly going, have gone rogue and are doing their own thing with chasing Stringer Bell and of course, Prop Joe. So it finally comes to a head in this particular scene where McNulty, you know, basically uh, insults uh, Freeman saying, you know, saying that, you know, we're doing real police work, chasing a guy, you know, by the name of Stringer Bell, have you ever heard of him? So he really, uh, he really pisses off Freeman and Freeman, Freeman just uh, gets to the point where he's had enough tells McNulty, you know, you set fire to everything you, you touch and then walk and then you, as you watch it burn, as you walk away and says that, tells him that, listen, Daniels got you off a boat, got you off a boat and this is how you're going to pay him back. And, you know, I mean, you have McNulty saying that, you know, I never expected to hear the chain of command horse shit come out your mouth, go be a cop. They almost come to blows. They almost come to blows and then Freeman just walks away, says he has nothing else to say, has nothing left to say to McNulty and, and chastises Kima uh, for going along with, with McNulty, considering how Daniels had brought her up as a young uh, as a young police officer, in his words, as a pup. So a very, and then you see, uh, and mainly McNulty is discussing in regards to Bell, his, his uh, real estate, all those properties that he bought, that he and uh, Avon bought up in season one. And um, as McNulty and Kima are walking out, as soon as they walk out, you see Lester tell Kim tell Prez to go check those properties. So Lester wants Bell as well. He just didn't want to give give McNulty the satisfaction that he also is still kind of still has that itch to go trace Stringer Bell. Um, great scene, well well performed between uh, Clark Peters and and, and uh, Dominique West, who were uh, tremendous in this scene. What were your thoughts? Uh, I'm going to echo that it was a great scene and how tremendous that they were. Um, me and you might see this slightly different. So um, here's how the way I read that scene. Um, <clears throat> so here, here's how I started. The only other character that I've heard the phrase, um, uh, uh, you're a cancer, you you um, watch things burn and walk away. The only other character I've heard language used towards like that is the Joker. So that's the type of mind. That's that's who McNulty is right now. Okay. So first of all, I disagree that everybody um, knew Kintel was a minor target and knew Bell was the bigger was the bigger target. The argument was about the evidence and about bodies. What was happening with Bell and them, no bodies were dropping, Kentel bodies, the unit was about bodies. McNulty disagreed. So McNulty's on his own 
thing right now on his own position. Everybody else in the unit is very clear what they're supposed to be doing. It's called their job, not what they want to do. And that's what Nosey's doing. And Freeman points out to Kima, rightfully so, Kima, what the hell are you doing following him? He's self-destructive. That's only going to lead you down a self-destructive path. I'll leave that alone. We'll come back that, to that many, many times until the ultimate end. Um, so that's, that's number one. The second thing is um, that, uh, uh, that like, while, while McNulty and Freeman are, like, sparring verbally, idealistically, they are more on the same page than not. And so I do think Freeman, even though he looked like he was confronting McNulty in a space of anger, I do think Freeman, being the old head, which is what he was pointing out to McNulty, I've been doing this longer than you've been alive, son. Um, and uh, 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 I do think he was using McNulty's um, zest to further poke the bear. So while I, while simultaneously McNulty's wild and out of control and doing his own thing, and um, well, so while he's doing that, Freeman is uh, uh, measured and playing the role of good soldier and doing what he's supposed to do, and then he's now using McNulty as a kind of a, a flashpoint to to redirect towards Bell, which is to your point why at the very end of that, um, at the very end of that scene, he goes to Presbyluski, go dig up those properties. Yeah. 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 I mean he um yeah they're I mean they're on the case that they're supposed to be on in terms of Tinson and Williamson. I just think that overall that they and going, this is even going back a couple of episodes when they blew their, blew their wire for uh, that with the dog thing, with the dog fighting. I just felt like they rather they rather be chasing double. Maybe that was just that was just Kima and McNulty as basically Kima and McNulty. Everybody else probably was content with just doing doing uh, chasing the bodies. Um, but, but it's not about contentment or not. You're not it, it's only it's if you take that. it's only if you take the position of McNulty. That's the only person where this feels different. Like this doesn't feel like the normal thing. McNulty is, as we know, gets locked in on somebody and it's all about that. The characters keep saying that about him over and over again. The only person, the only person on this um, uh, show who thinks not chasing the bodies is something to be fought against is McNulty. So right. if you take the position of McNulty, yes. But if you take the position of any other character, no. So you have um, Colvin, uh, Colvin's meeting with um, two guys who are discussing his new position, kind of, you know, as he's, as he's coming close to the end of his uh, career as a, as a major. It's going to be a new. It's going to be a security job at John at Johns Hopkins, eighty thousand uh, dollars, great benefits, um, a seamless transition uh, from his you know his days as a major into into this particular position. He 
uh, the guy, one of the guys leaves, says he has to do a has to take a twinkle, twinkle, and Colvin basically calls it dude out after he left and says, you know, why can't you just say, uh, you know, you got pissed? Why he's like, I understand why a grown man has to talk like that. Uh, so they discuss, you know, they discuss what this position is going to look like, and um, I think, you know, again, Colvin, you know, we see in the show in regards to when 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 there's comedy. There's some underlining deep meaning, and I think with that, with Colvin talking about the dude, is Colvin is no Colvin is this, is a straight shooter, so he doesn't want to, anything that's he doesn't want to hear any type of bullshit. He's calling it, even on things of that nature, like just say you gotta take a piss. Even that something like that tick, will tick him off, but mainly it's about this position that he's going to be taking. Um, that he's going to be taking, and we will see how this plays out. This is we will see how this plays out in later episodes. Uh, uh, in later episodes, what were your thoughts? Yeah, this is so. This is set up, but this is actually setting up a really huge theme. Not scenes, not something that's going to happen. This is setting up a really huge theme in terms of, um, and I'm not going to ruin anything. So, just the theme is. Uh, what are you willing to sacrifice, right? We've been talking about reform. Reform does not come without sacrifice. What are you willing to sacrifice? And so this scene is setting that up. So you have, um, they show Cuddy, we get, we get back to Cuddy briefly doing yard work. He's struggling to get the start the lawnmower. Uh, quick scene, but we'll see how that plays out in a later scene with him and his uh, supervisor. Um, Bubbles, Kima, McNulty, uh, Bubbles lets them lets uh, Kima and McNulty know that Marlo is controlling the main territory. Um, that Marlo's controlling the main territory. He gives them Marlo's uh, well, not gives them. He negotiates Marlo's plate number, which gets him more money, uh, and rightfully so. Um, you know, he's out there working for them. You know, you know, get that's like a bonus. You know, get Marlo's plate number. Um, he also lets them know that. Uh, he also lets them know, you know, where the Barksdales that he's seen Barksdales, but but the Barksdales don't, but the, but the Barksdales don't have the uh, don't have the main territory. He says Marlowe, of course, is in control of that, um, is in control uh, of that territory. So um, this is also a setup scene for uh, for uh, later on in the episode with a couple of with a couple of plot lines that we'll see. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, I actually have a lot to say about this scene. Um, so this is, so I'm about to construct one of my arguments. And so my argument is this, if the unit had recognized Marlowe coming sooner, they could have stopped him earlier. Um, and so this is exhibit number one, exhibit number one, um, because McNulty's so focused on Stringer, he can't see Marlowe coming right. because Kima is so focused on trying to be like McNulty, trying to figure out if she wants to put on the dirtbag cop role, um, uh, 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 skin for herself, she can't see Marlo coming. So this is exhibit A. Um, this is why that focus of McNulty is not to be lauded. It, this really is why it's not to be lauded. He keeps screwing up. And this is the avenue he's screwing up. It's staring him right in his face. It's staring all of them right in their face. Um, so this is exhibit number one on that. Yeah, exactly. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Then, then I have something to say about Buzz. But this is, it's only exhibit number one. There's another one in this episode, and then I'll keep highlighting them as we go through 
the the season. So this is not the the finality of my argument on that. This is just the very, very beginning of it. There's another one in this episode as well. Um, my second thing was going to be about Bubs. Um, oh, no, no, not about Bubs. It's about just the genius of the way that this episode is constructed and how this show is written. Um, like I said, the, this this episode feels like it's about moving all of the new characters who are the reformers um, into different places, like really moving them. In this episode, we get to see cut. We get to see um, uh, 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 um, who uh, I don't want to say the the what is he the councilman now? What's his um, Carcetti? We get to see Carcetti. Of course, we get to see Colvin. Um, but in this episode, we never see Marlowe's face. But he's such a looming presence. And I thought that was just very, very cool how they constructed it. So these two scenes, um, one is about what the unit could have done if they saw Marlo coming. And then the second is how they constructed and made Marlo such a menacing presence um, uh, in this episode. And this is actually where the mystique of Marlo starts. Like you alluded to him before, but up until this point in time, he's just a, another nigga on the street, um, essentially. Uh, this is where his mystique starts to build. All right, I'm done. Yeah, so initially, uh, Kima floats out this theory in that scene as well is to Bubble saying maybe maybe Marlo is working under the stranger. So that just, mm-hmm. that just tells you how lost they are in regards to Marlo's standing in the drug trade. Um, so, and of course, Bubbles doesn't know. Bubbles is like, I, you know, I don't know that much. She's like, you can't, you can't confirm that. Nobody knows. You can't confirm. Well, here's the clue. Here's the clue. What they could have keyed on, what Bubbles clearly says is, I don't know about Barksdale. The name that's ringing out is Marlo. Yes, yes. That should say something to them. Yeah. So you have that going on. Then you have uh, Cuddy. And the supervisor, his supervisor, talking, discussing, which really was a one of the most powerful scenes in the in, in the episode to me. So he helps him out the lawnmower. We told you earlier, talk, we told you a couple scenes earlier, kind of struggling with the lawnmower, the prime lawnmower. The supervisor comes out, helps him out with it, and he lets Cuddy know about himself and what he should do. So he says. You know, I used to, you know, I used to, you know, I had an SL pretty thing, pretty back in, pretty, I had a pretty SL back in the day. Um, I let that go a long time ago. I let that life go a long time ago. Uh, let that life go a long time ago. Um, this right here, what you're trying to do, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. Um, you're stuck here doing this job that, you know, doing a job making, you know, pennies on the dollar, making basically pennies on the dollar, but this is this is your reality right now. Now, again, giving Cuddy a just a clear truth of what of where he's at in life, getting out of prison. And I and I believe, I believe now without the supervisor even knowing this, that that triggered Cuddy to go to do what he does later on in this episode. Very, I think a very poignant, poignant scene somebody a character and this, this this guy is a small time character that we'll see a couple times in the season but he had a big major moment in his his conversation with cuddy as he says he basically used to live the life that Cuddy used to live he was dealing drugs and 
being a part of the game. What were your thoughts on this series? Yeah, no, same. I mean, you're doing a good job of mapping Cuddy's arc out in this episode. You think he triggered Cuddy going back into that life? I think everything, I think you're doing a good job of mapping it out. I think everything plays into everything. So you have. I think that first scene you talked about, now this scene, and then there'll be another scene. So we get Daniels in Parliament. This is, of course, so this is following. they are, they are, you know, they are item now, Daniels and Perlman. So Daniels comes in Perlman's office. Um, they discuss Avon, um, Avon's uh, upcoming parole hearing in, in which she has, she's, she's writing a letter saying that, of course, she, you know, that Avon was, you know, one of the most powerful drug lords for three years. And basically, they basically brush off the fact that there's no way that he's going to get out. Like they, you know, they don't believe, she doesn't believe, she says, she says, she says there's no way that he's going to get out in his first, you know, you know, his first, in his first hearing on his first try. So she has that letter. Uh, they flirt a little bit. And then um, as he walks, uh, as, as he walks out, uh, quick scene, but what were your thoughts on uh, this particular scene? Set up. Uh, Cuddy. We see Cuddy, as soon as he gets home from work, I guess, I guess off the truck, he immediately calls the number that the bar sales gave him out when he got out of jail. And of course, that number does not work. What were your thoughts? Quick scene. Oh, shut up. So the detail, we go to the detail, McNulty, Kima, uh, discussing Stringer and Marlowe. Um, Kima is seeking um, more information on Marlowe. Uh, Kima is, is seeking more Seeking more information on Marlo says she's going to go down to the Western to uh, to look him to uh, to look him up and uh, to look up to look him up or to get to get more information on him. Um, and again, this is a scene that we start finding. We start un, it starts kind of un, uh, not unraveling, but it starts. We start to give a better case, better look at what you know what type of dude Marlo is um, uh, after after following this scene and upcoming scenes as well. In this episode uh what are your thoughts yeah this is uh exhibit number two um she wait did you talk about the conversation she had with the detective or you are you, are you saving that for later no no we haven't got we there. haven't got there yet okay yes. all right so then set up um bunk and lansman bunk tries to sneak in tries to sneak into the uh office without lansman knowing it lansman recognizes him a couple minutes later and asks him to continue to be course ask him about the gun that he has yet to find what, what are your thoughts uh yeah set up honestly this is not even set up to be honest with you it's just a scene yeah no that that no it, it no, that was it that's not you know we'll I mean, they'll talk more about this. I mean, they'll talk more about this gun in further episodes, but it's not, yeah, no, it's not, it's not set up. So you have uh, Kima and Detective Vernon discussing Marlowe. So Vernon, um, apparently they, Vernon, they almost had Marlowe on a, uh, with a, they almost had Mar- Marlowe um, on a murder where um, a witness was, uh, you know, a witness was going to put Marlowe in. The witness, decide to the witness goes over the east they bring him over the east side and the witness goes 
back over to West Side to cop some drugs, some hydro. And Vernon just says, you know, could have copped the same shit in, on East Side. So he, of course, that witness, of course, did not make it back to East Side. He ends up in the, ended up with two bullets, three bullets, two in the chest, and one in the mouth. Remember that for uh, later on in the season. Um, and he lets, but Vernon lets Kima know that this month, he said in his words, this motherfucker Marlo is for real. Called him, he called him a spawn of the devil. Matter of fact, exact words. Called him a spawn of the devil and said he's definitely for real. Uh, as she gets more, as she, uh, as Kima gets more information about who and what Marlo is, is all about. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, this is exhibit number two. And let me, let me be clear. I'm not saying that the, the detectives in this world are should be um, omniscient, like like us as the viewers who know lots of different pieces of information. What I'm saying is the information was there for them to start thinking and turning their minds. If can tell, if everything that's been built around the perception of Kentel Williams is true, which is that he's just a minor. Um, drug dealer um, that just is stupid enough to still be killing people in the in the wide open, then it's not only smart to be looking at the bigger picture, but it's actually absolutely necessary to be looking at the bigger picture and looking at all of the the dealers out there as pieces on the overall drug game board. Um, and so uh, Kima just got a direct story of um, Marlo murdering a witness. Now, evidence of all of that aside, like that not being there, that's fine, but that should at the very least cue up something. It would. Like these are very smart detectives. That's why they're in this detail. And that's why I'm talking about the laser focus on Stringer Bell being a flaw and a flaw that the show wants to show the viewers in these characters because the game keeps repeating itself because of the way that the system is designed and who they're designed to go after and what leads them to go after who and the people who are involved. And if the target of investigations are, pers- are based off of personal, like who I need to go get, then that's a flaw in the system. And that's why this keeps perpetuating itself. And so the show wants you to ask these questions and wants you to think about it. So I know it's a show and I know the characters are not supposed to do certain things at certain times because the show, certain things need to happen. I 100% get that. But I also think The Wire, as we said, often is such a smarter show than those things that it wants us to look at those questions. It wants us to ask, why are we not looking at and trying to identify um, the problems that are going on. And so each of the reformers in their journey within this season are identifying systemic problems of why the drug game keeps going on. So that leads us all the way back to that original scene that you were talking about. The reason why that officer is facing an onslaught from the public and cannot and doesn't have a defense is because there is none because the system itself is the problem and until the system gets fixed then the problem will perpetuate itself so the the office the wire wants us to keep thinking about that and talking about that and these are two good examples within the characters 
of why the system keeps perpetuating itself. They're petty and they're personal right now. And that keeps their eye off the ball. That's why I keep saying, no, they could have seen them coming. They could have. They yeah. chose not to. That's what, no, we can't take the characters off the hook. This was not a surprise, like, oh, look, we have the scene just right there. He said the mother, he's the spawn of the devil. How, yeah. how clear do you have to be? Yeah, no. That this guy, he's real. He's the spawn of the devil. He's murdering witnesses. What do you mean you said they haven't, they didn't see him coming? Yes, yeah. they saw him coming. They were told. Kima went to dig up information on Marlowe. They absolutely saw him coming. They chose not to do anything about it. That's yeah. the difference. Or they prioritized Stringer because the better way to say that is they prioritized Stringer because it was personal. Yeah, no, they, they, I mean, they definitely locked it on. Say by they, I mean McNulty. Well, McNulty, I mean McNulty. And Kima, who's just following around McNulty. Right, right. but this is it. This is McNulty. Um, so you have, speaking of McNulty, he's, yeah, him meeting up with his kid, and, uh, Elena, his ex-wife, his ex-wife, uh, attempts to get more alimony from him, and, um, attempts to get more alimony from him as they get into an argument about what he was making, you know, regardless of what he was making, he puts up the few court says, you know, can't afford to pay. Based on can't afford to pay what she wants based on his salary, and the only reason that he signed those papers is because he felt that they were uh, getting back together. Yeah, this is set up, and this is just further like demonstration of like how toxic McNulty is. Yeah, yeah, I mean, just you know, on his life dysfunction. It's it's set up. It's set up. It's honestly, it's, it's set up. It's fine. Whatever. Yeah, beating uh, a dead heart at this point. Colvin and the Western. Um, he tells his officers where you know tells his officers that drug dealers you know can sell in designated areas. Uh, you know tells of course he had he has the designated areas set up for where the where the dealers can sell, and he sends his officers out to uh, to uh, drive uh, the dealers to those particular areas. But again, the area, the, the, the dealers just are not buying this at all. Um, a lot of them, you know, many of them think it's either a trick or just don't, or just are used to their way of doing things or are used to a certain way of a certain, we talked about systems, they're used to a certain system, which we'll see discussed in the epigraph uh, with fruit in terms of what he says. But um, the, dealers are, the, the dealers are not complying with uh, Officers in terms in terms of where moving to those particular designated areas. We also got get introduced to Spider, who we will see become a vital character. Ends up becoming a vital character throughout the course of the series later on in this series. So he get we get introduced to him at the time. Of course, we didn't you know think much of him because we didn't you know he was just you know a corner boy. So. And that's so. Uh, in that scene, in this scene, we see the, the uh, that the officers, not the officers, but the drug dealers, are not complying to the orders of, of one uh, Bunny Colvin and the other and the other Western officers. Uh, what were your thoughts? Shout out. Uh, so we have Kima Minolti 
get back together um, to discuss Marlo. Um, she tells him the story that uh, tells him about what Vernon said to her, um, and then they then it actually then they it, then you know McNulty actually was the one that speculated that he uh, was working for Stringer. Uh, which he's is not speculating. That's what he wants it to be. I say yeah. he's not. No, 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 no you're right. I'm saying I was just, you're right. He, you know, it wasn't Kima. It was, it, this was McNulty saying that he's understanding. So then that was a very important distinction between the two of them saying that it was, it was McNulty. Mm, not really, not right now, because Kima wants to be McNulty right now. It was, uh, so McNulty's, you know, makes it possible. Um, what were your thoughts? Set up. I mean, this is exhibit number three, but I, I've I've laid it out pretty well by now. So we have Prez uh, on the order, of course, on the orders of uh, Freeman. He goes in and tries and checks for the Barksdale properties in terms of um, all the properties that they bought up. Uh, so he's on, you know, he's doing some research on that. Um, we'll see how that plays out in a later scene. What were your thoughts? Um, this is actually exhibit number four for me because it, wait, uh-oh, you didn't get to the, you didn't get to when he talks about what properties he has yet, no, right? Not sure, no, Okay, right. set up, set up, set up, set up, set up, set up. Yeah, this going, going on there, doing that research. So no, they haven't discussed it yet. Um, Bubbles, Bubbles and Kima, um, Bubbles lets her know, let's, uh, Bubbles gets real specific in terms of letting Kima uh, Kima know what the cor which corners Marlo's which specific corners that Marlo has. He also tells um, he also tells her that you know Barksdale's are kind of sprinkled uh, among some other with some other dealers at some basically some off-brand corners or some or not the main corners but uh, not the main corners um, in the city. But he tells her specifically. That bubbles that the Marlow has the main is the uh, has the main corners uh, in the area, and he has, says that his name. He tells her that his name is the one that is ringing out, not Barksdale's. So he's very clear about that during in this particular scene, and he also tosses a burn. He tosses a burner, which will be a major piece of uh, of a plot, you know, of a of a plot that we'll see in the future. He tosses a burner. Out of the out of the window that had no minutes on it, uh, that apparently would have ran out of minutes. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, what were your thoughts on this scene? This is actually exhibit number four. Um, after after that's that's right. We 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 talking about this is actually exhibit number four. Um, yeah, like you said, bubbles was very clear on who's running those corners and why those corners are the best and the top people would have the best corners. So that's kind of the easy equation to put together. Yeah. Yeah, and like, she should have completely dismissed the fact, any fact that Barksdale, that Marlon was with Barksdale based on you, you just, just no, I mean, just- I'm, I'm not going, I'm not going that far. I'm just being like, there, there were, clues are there. And, and because of, the flaw, like this is their fatal flaw this season. This is the details fatal flaw this season. 
because of the flaw, because they're so focused on what's going on with Barksdale and Stringer Bell in particular, they're missing things. What's the word? They have tunnel vision, right? It's like a quarterback who stares down one receiver. Yes. They're staring down Barksdale, so they're missing the rest of the field. That's my point. So you have McNulty goes goes to look for more information uh, on Stringer. He lies to the receptionist, tells her that tells him that uh, tells her that Stringer has issues with uh, domestic violence issues with women. She gives him some information off the not by paper but off the computer where he's allowed to look where you know she can she says she can't give him to him by paper but she does allow him to look at her computer. So he finds so he gets you know he with that he gets uh, Stringer's. Uh, phone number and uh, Stringer's number off that uh, particular or or where he was going to going to school at off uh, off her computer screen and um, and you have that going on you have that going on as he's you know locked into Stringer uh, what were your thoughts on this on this scene um, this setup so you have Herc and Carver uh, they continue to struggle to get dealers to move uh, into the designated areas. This is where that fruit says the epigraph, why you gotta go and fuck with the program. The dealers are telling them, you know, uh, her makes a comment says, you know, we're about, what if we put a foot in your ass and then one of the dealers says, at least we understand. So the dealers clearly are not, they just, I mean, they're just not buying that fact about anything about Amsterdam or about the, the, the free zone, and even after even after officers after the officers explained to them that they were allowed them to sell drugs in the free zone, the dealers are not buying it whatsoever. And nor and nor should they, to be honest with you. You've been doing you've been selling drugs for years upon decades upon decades. The way it's been going, with all of a sudden a cop tells you right, you can go to the free zone. I wouldn't. I don't think you are, I don't think a drug dealer would, would believe that believe that initially anyway. So. Um, you know, Epigraph said in this particular scene, uh, what were your thoughts? Ah, uh, yeah, shut up. Because of course, we know that Fruit is, of course, uh, one of Marlowe's uh, corner men. Uh, you have McNulty and Stringer, uh, not McNulty and Stringer, you have, um, You have Colvin, yes. Colvin, so Colvin gets frustrated. Colvin at this point is gets frustrated about uh, nobody moving to the uh, to the designated areas. You said you see that they that he sees that they're empty. Um, he along with his uh, second in charge, uh, Lieutenant Mello. So Colvin demands some bust and says that I'm not I'm no longer asking. What were your thoughts? Oh, shut up. Yeah, just shut up. Bubbles and Kima. Um, Bubbles tells Kima that the Barstells and the and Barstells and the East Side uh, drug dealers are on the same corners, on the same corners as he tosses a burner out of the uh, out the window. That could be. I could be. You can make a case. That's a, that could be Exhibit Five because the fact that the Barstells mm-hmm. East Side not Exhibit Five. That's not it. No. Carcetti and friends. So Carcetti's with some old college buddies, uh, law school buddies at a bar. 
um, he tells them that he's going to run for mayor. They laugh at him, and then he mm-hmm. and he looks at a woman at the bar. We'll see how that plays out. Uh, what were your thoughts on Garcetti telling them that he was going to uh, run for mayor? Yeah, it's the laugh. It's set up. McNulty and Stringer. Uh, so McNulty sees Stringer uh, at a at a community college. Uh, briefly, sees sees Stringer briefly at a uh, community college. Yep. Set up. We get to Carchetti and Teresa uh, D'Agostino. He Teresa D'Agostino is a lady that he saw at the bar. Carchetti, of course, hustles his friends, hustles his friends, tells his friends that, you know, they made a bet that he could get her, you know, they made a bet that he could um, get a number. And it turns goes, it turns out that he knew that they went to law school together. So he hustled them. He tells her that his, of his plans to run for mayor. He wants her to run his campaign, uh, his campaign for him. And she says that he is not electable in, in the city of Baltimore because of, of course, because of his color, uh, because of his color. And um, we had that. So that's how that scene goes. So we get introduced to Teresa D'Agostino, who will play, will play a major role moving forward uh, in this plot line. What are your thoughts on their, on their interaction? Yeah, I mean, like, she's giving him the political layout of the land. Um, and so uh, she's giving the political layout of the land. And it is a realistic layout of it. But um, but uh, this is another version of like reform and what he, the the stakes. This is setting up the stakes, and the stakes are that he's going to try to do something that's impossible. How can he do it? Yeah, she tells him, you know, sleep it off. You know, go home, sleep it off, and you'll come to your senses in the morning. But of course, you, you, you know, you know that he's dead serious about uh, about this. Stringer McNulty, um, Stringer McNulty calls the number that he got that he got off the off the receptionist's computer screen. He calls the number, check the you see if it's to confirm that the Stringer's number, of course, and it is, of course, it is. Stringer picks it up, and McNulty uh, hangs up, and that of course pleases McNulty. Um, this is, of course, late at night, so he's been tracking Stringer the entire day because um, Stringer had just left the class um, at, at the, when, you know, when he got, gets into his car. Uh, what were your thoughts? Oh, set up. Bodie, Slim, and Cuddy. So if you remember the last, the last episode, Marlo's crew beat the shit out of uh, Bodie's crew. So since with you know, with that happening, they have gone. They have retreated to some some just bad real estate. Um, so they're off the prime real estate that they were on, like right across the street from um, from Marlowe's crew. Bodie is completely besides himself. Uh, he's frustrated. He says, "You know, how are we not going to throw some hot ones at him? One ass whooping, we take what we you know, one ass whooping, and we we get put on this." you put on this off-brand shit to where Pooh can't even grind with his crew. So, you know, Slim tells, you know, basically tells Bodie, you know, calm down, string, calm, key words, calm down, string, we'll take care of it. And then Cuddy, of course, once back in the game, um, 
tells them that you made the call to the number. Um, they let them know those numbers only last for a couple of days. Uh, they look, they basically ask them what you, you know, what you want to do. He says, what Cuddy says, whatever, whatever pays, whatever pays. So, you know, Cuddy's back in. Slim once you know says tells Pooh you know let's go get you know, let's go get you let's go get you some uh, chrome get you a gun, and Cuddy recognizes Bodie uh, from way back when before I get assuming that's just obviously before he went to jail, and reckon knew his brother from from uh, as a sparring not a sparring part but knew his brother from boxing way back when, and you know kind of has a surprise reaction when Bodie tells him that you know his brother's been dead for years. Um, and they, as in the, the last part of that scene, they see the police rounding up corner boys, putting them in a school bus, and of course, at the uh, orders of one uh, Bunny Colvin. So a lot going on in this scene as in terms of Cuddy's real introduction back into the game and where the Barksdales currently stand in the drug trade, having off, being on some off-brand real estate. What are your thoughts um yeah this is this is a good introduction for Cuddy back uh going back into the game the interaction between him and Bodie kind of gave um us knowledge of like a little bit more background knowledge on Cuddy that's that's why that's important um the rest of it is just kind of like a uh two it's twofold it's an it's a, uh indictment of uh stringers kind of view of the game and it is a statement of how strong marlow is yeah yeah because uh was clearly frustrated by the fact that we like we're not gonna come back on them we're not we just gonna just retreat and uh you know slim is you know slim charles is playing a good soldier waiting for you know Waiting for uh, Stringer's, uh, you know, waiting for we'll see what Stringer, what Stringer wants to do, is going to do. Um, of course, we'll see how that plays out. Um, so you have Stringer and Clay Davis and a couple other uh, real estate people um, discussing properties, discussing real estate properties as McNulty watches. Um, Stringer takes a call. As they just takes a call, you know, takes a call as they're discussing those properties. And again, the key to me with the key, the key part, and this was a short scene, but the key part in this scene or the key aspect of this scene is seeing it's the first time we'll see Stringer, not certainly one will be the last, but the first time we see Stringer and Clay Davis in a scene together. What were your thoughts? Um so two things. One is uh, this is the beginning. This is a this is a this is a setup, but it's a big. It's a long term big setup. It's a setup to one of the greatest li lines in the in wire history. So this is the very very beginning of it. And then the second one is um, that uh, that um, was giving a little bit more. Oh no 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 no. It, this is. This is more about uh, what McNulty is seeing and kind of leading to the conclusion that that most that um, not most people that Freeman will be able to kind of like break down. Um, so it's set up, but it's, it's, it's there's there's a lot going on in the setup. 
Yeah, no question about it. Um, when you get to Hogan, uh, they go to the school, they bring all the those all the dealers, full board dealers, and then level drug dealers to the school. Um, the gym, they had, they had a gymnasium. So of course, courses, of course, it's going to be out of control. Most of these kids, first of all, most of these kids have dropped out of school, so you know they just need a space to bring them into. So most of these kids are drug dealers or or, or yeah, mm. drug dealers. <laughs> keep going. Sorry. Most of these kids, most of these, a lot of these kids are drug dealers. Guys that got off the corner. Um, Stringer, Stringer. Coven is trying to explain his new actions, trying to explain his program to them. And he does. He does not even get. Does not even get to it before a kid asks to use the bathroom, and then another kid asks to use the bathroom. So they try to run, you know, run that game. And uh, they, he had no kids get into a fight. So there's complete chaos. Even when the principal comes out, when the principal comes, he comes, shuts everything down. Uh, they clearly respect her. They clearly respect her. She calls out one student, tells him, "Yeah, let's see, I know your mom." He didn't raise no clowns. They also let him know that I didn't see you at school today. Uh, so she, you know, she has control over that from that standpoint. But as soon as she leaves and he gives the, uh, she gives the microphone back to Colvin. He tries to, tell, you know, he tries to, you know, explain his plan. He doesn't even get into the beginning part of the plan because the kids again make make a lot of noise and he does just out of control from that standpoint. So so Colvin doesn't even get into. He doesn't even get into what he's trying to do with the kids. He doesn't even drive like that. that, that he doesn't, doesn't even break the ice. Explaining, explaining them, to, explaining them what he's trying to do. Um, at the beginning of the scene, he tells them that they haven't been doing what the officers are. At, have, he just says, "You haven't been complying with us. Haven't been what we've been asking you to do." Uh, so this basically, I, I, I venture to say, it was basically almost a basically a, a waste of time. As nothing, nothing was accomplished from it. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, it's it's set up. So yeah, the detail and McNulty. McNulty gets back to the detail. Um, he tells him, you know, he confirms that he confirms that he you know, tells him that he got something, got some, gets a number, got the number from Stringer, or got a number on Stringer, and he finds out that. Freeman has the same number. So Freeman tells it, Freeman during his investigation of it tells Stringer or tells McNulty that uh, that this number is legit. This is a legitimate number. This is a business number. And and Stringer, um, this is a legitimate number that he that he's had for um, for a few months now. That he's taking making calls and taking calls on. So McNulty, you know, asks the question, well, do you think he's legit? And Freeman kind of, you know, teases me, no Well, probably not. Tells him probably not. But you're the police officer. You're the, you know, you're the, you're the police. Why don't you go find out? So he tells Freeman. He tells they they get into um, a discussion about the Barksdale properties, and um, Freeman lets him know that you know we. Freeman says basically says that we misread what they were going to do when they why they bought up all those properties he thought that initially that they, they bought up all those properties to flip but in terms but in, in regard they just keep buying more so um he tells he gives he tells freeman tells me not to you know give you a week to dig up some more information either, either dig up some more information or swallow your pride and, and, and rejoin this unit 
and then uh, McNulty acquiesces and, you know, and they go from there. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, this is actually all about, um, this is all about Stringer's view of um, himself. So this is the second setup to the greatest line in wire history. Um, that's, that's going to come, that's going to come later. So you have um, Stringer and Donette. Um, Stringer attempts to smooth things over with Donette. Of course, we know throughout the course of this season uh, that he's been refusing her phone calls. Um, she's, of course, initially upset, saying that, you know, uh, saying that it, it's, you know, you don't have, they're saying that you don't know what it's like to be alone out here. When the cops come to the door, she tells him about Minoti, shows him the card, and uh, tells him, you know, what Minoti feels about the D'Angelo, uh, the D'Angelo Barstow case. He, of course, you know, uh, bends up the card, balls up the card, and you can see the, you can see the concern on his face in that, in that scene uh, when that when she brings up D'Angelo's name again, and you can see how he's genuinely concerned. I thought it was well played by Ildis Elba. Uh, how he kind of freezes there um, when that name is brought up. And he sits her down, lets her know that nobody, based off the reputation of Avon Barksdale, that nobody would have killed D'Angelo uh, and no behind those walls. And then he tells her that he is no longer going to, you know, ignore her, that they're going to be, you know, back together. Uh, so he kind of, you know, I... I I think this was kind of similar to season uh, two when he when he came at her, like he realized that he needed to like stop ignoring her, kind of get her on the kind of be a, kind of get her get her under control again, so to speak. So I think he's kind of like manipulating her from that standpoint. Maybe not to the level that he did in that scene in season two when they first slept together, but it's close. Uh, what were your thoughts? Uh, it's not even close. It's the exact same thing. You're okay. you're correct. Okay. It's the exact same thing. Um, so you have uh, yeah, and he also tells um, well, no, they haven't gotten that gotten we haven't got to that we'll get to that point. So, Bulk and McNulty are at the bar. Um, McNulty wants to know why he's on Bulk's tab. And uh, Bulk, of course, wants more information. He says, he's trying to, of course, find, he has his own issues in terms of trying to find those men's missing gun. Says that he needs Omar again. Um, needs Omar again. Uh, McNulty, la you know, laughs it off. And so he basically laughs, you know, laughs at Bulk. And then they go, they go to plot to uh to get bunk and uh the lady at the end of the bar and trying to have bunk try to talk to the lady at the end of the bar so they plot and they this, they this story or bunk makes up this, 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 this tells this up this story about his, his mom being sick and, and what have you um and they do that they do the reverse last time this time it's bunk um so it's you know showing you how you know bad they can be for each other uh what were your thoughts on this shut up so we see the end of the Stringer Donette. So Stringer walks out of Donette's apartment, um, lets Sam Rock know that from now on that he's going to take her calls. 
and then uh, we find a major, major, uh, the beginning of what's going to be a major plot point. Um, he says that he puts, he puts Shamrock on the receipt, says that you're going to be doing these receipts for these uh, for these phones, for these phones, uh, these phones. So it's going to be between you and my, our man Bernard. So we will see how that plays out. That's going to be a major, major uh, plot point moving forward. So he's no longer focusing on that part of it. He's kind of delegating that to Shamrock and a character, and a character named Bernard that we will see later on in this, in this, that we will see plenty of this character later on in the season. Uh, thoughts on this uh, scene? Mm-mm, can't talk about it. You said it. Can't, yeah. Well, I mean, I, no, we can't talk about it, but- it's, No, we can't. Nope, move on, shut up. <laughs> you said it, that's it. Uh, McNulty, Perlman, and Daniels. Um, so McNulty, uh, is completely just wiped out. Um, I mean, he's drunk. He go, he comes to uh, Perlman's door. Daniels is there. He doesn't know that in the beginning. He knocks on the door, of course, unannounced. Daniels comes up to the uh, comes up is uh, Daniels comes up to the door. Not comes up to the door. Can see can see McNulty outside the window. He's with Perlman, and as uh, Perlman doesn't answer the door, of course. As Benoti yells the name, out. and then he go, and then Benoti finally sees a police uh, a car with a police license plate, with the policeman's license plate, which he did not know it was Daniel's. I don't think he knew it was Daniel's car. I think he knew that was police officer's car. I don't know, not sure he knew that it was Daniel's car. He knows that it's a police officer's car, and and walks away. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, he knows it's Daniel's car. Okay. So we have Yvonne, uh, Levy, and the warden, and also a couple, uh, and also, and also uh, uh, one of the officers that work at the work at the prison, the same guy that busted Tillman. Um, they discuss uh, they discuss that uh, Avon is going to be coming, like Avon is going to be um, is going to be early, going to get an early release. The officer, of course, does not agree with it at whatsoever. But the warden basically says, "Look, you know, we had, you know, we had to. You know, this is the best. This is the best course of action, considering the embarrassment of the that the, the prison would face with those five dudes dying back in season five, not season five, season two. And again, this is this is an example of the system being just completely fucked up. Like this, we talked about this earlier in the episode with the system." With how the system, with how you know the system is just, is messed up, and how that can just you know, and how that can affect the communities and things of that nature. Well, this is another example. You have this kingpin who is going to get out early, based on the based on you know a you know based on good behavior, based on this, but based on him identifying these murders that he ended up that he set up, and uh, on his first parole hearing. So. Um, I think they want to show and show again how the system is just, you know, how the system continuously uh, messes over, uh, affects, you know, the drug game in, in a positive way, from a, from a, in a negative way, of course. What were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, I mean, like, the difference between this scene and the other one is this is not a new idea. This is a, this was a plot point that was that was um, set up in season two. 
And so um, they're working towards something big, but we can't talk about it right now. Right, right. So you have Cuddy with Slim, Charles, Stafford, and Gerard. Uh, they're in the car. They identify that one of the dealers, one of the Barksdale dealers has been stealing from them. Um, while they give Cuddy his gun, uh, and he says, of course, the game didn't change. And of course, Slim Charles retorts, no, the game hasn't changed. It just got more fierce. You know, Cuddy grew up on a revolver, and now they give him a, a, a gun that holds 15 bullets. So, you know, Cuddy, of course, you know, is officially back in. He has a gun now. And of course, Cuddy has also shows you, you know, his, his smarts in regards to the young dealer. He says, you know, if he's stealing, then it had to be, he has to be stealing for a reason. Um, does he have a girl? And then they, you know, they mentioned this girl that uh that he that, you know, they mentioned that this girl that he's dating. He says, check the, you know, tell Cuddy, of course, tells her, tells him to check the girl out. If she's wearing some ice food girl wearing ice. Those, and you know that will confirm that the dude is stealing from them. Uh, is stealing from them. So we'll see how that plays out. But uh, the main part of the scene is the fact that Cuddy is back in. Um, is officially is back in. Has a gun, and also the fact that he, uh, of how much the game has changed since he was back in. Start through him describing uh, what type of gun he had versus what type of gun that they give him. What were your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. Um. So a couple of different things. Uh, I need to go back to something really quick, but I, I'll talk about this scene very fast. I mean, this scene is set up um, and I've been saying the word set up a lot. And the like the, the reason why I've been saying it's set up a lot is because there's there's a couple things that are at play. So um, I said to you, the uh, I mean, said to, to we've been talking about how the wire this season elevates its writing level. This is where it truly becomes a television show, okay? And oh, one of the greatest television shows of all time. Um, and so we got two kinds of setup. We got two different kinds of setup that's going on right now. All of the reformers represent everything that we're talking about system. We're talking about in the systems. That's what they represent. Um, and so there can you can ascribe a lot of deeper meaning and a deeper level kind of like that novel piece to those characters the wire obviously values that um and values that kind of discourse and so they wanted characters that represented that now old school characters particularly um stringer and avon in this season will represent something different Cody, uh freeman mcnulty Greg's, everybody that we've already known, they actually represent something different. They represent the status quo and they represent how the status quo um, either elevates or fails. And we'll be able to point out differences in these seasons. But even more than that, there is a operatic notion that um, The Wire is trying to elevate its writing through these characters too. And so the clear like why there's so many setups is because they're setting up both of those different things and so i separate it like this the reformers are systematic the new like our old school players are shakespeare those are the those are the differences and so what they're setting up with stringer and his organization not even just to lead into it because we've even gotten that thing is something shakespearean 
That's what they're setting up. That's what they're setting up with McNulty. That's what they're setting up with Greg. That's what they're setting up with Freeman. They they're they are charting a different course. This is season three is pivotal in that that piece. And then with the reformers, all of our all of our new characters, they continue their their dive into what's going on in the systems in in the city. And so it's becoming the wires becoming multi-layered and, and multi-complex. And so when I'm like set up, it's not set like I'm not just going like, oh, set, da, 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 it's all setting up to the same thing. They're actually setting up really big ideas while also talking about, I mean, they're set up really big ideas in both writing and um, uh, intellectual exercise, as well as setting up what their characters are going to do over a long period of time. Again, this is why The, why the Wire is the best show in history. Yeah, I mean, we, we, you know, there's a number of, number of, like most of the series that we've done have been set up to, like when you're you trying to do what they're trying to do, what they're, what they're not trying to do, what they are doing, when you go status quo versus the former, it's more like, it, it's, that takes a while to, to like. Yeah, here's, here's how I'll break it down. I, I'll bring it, I'll bring it, no, mm -mm. I'll bring in a pretender to the throne. If you haven't seen the end of it, damn you, you should have and then get away from this. Um, I'll bring in Game of Thrones. Right. Like what they would love us to believe is that everything was set up to show that Danny was going to turn at the end. Why everybody rebelled was because that's absolutely a lie. They didn't put in the time or the effort in the yeah. seasons before to make sure that pays off. Yeah. Everything that The Wire is doing, narratively, story-wise, beat-wise, character actions-wise, is setting something up. Yes. later yep. right and then there's also game of thrones by the end of it had nothing to say about the show the wire has a lot to say about the human experience how we live what's going on in our lives game of thrones jettisoned that by the by the end the wire will not do that and so that's why that's why it's multi-layered and that's why there are so many different things going on so we go to, but there are certain episodes where you can't talk about them no. because you're ruining what's coming. Yeah, you gotta let it play out. Yeah, and so that's why it's just a simple setup. Just just be patient. Uh, yeah. More will be revealed. Yeah, remember, this is, you know, we're episode four. So this is five. First, no, this is four. It's not five. This is four? Oh, wow. Five. Yeah. Yeah. Five we will, you know, five is a big one, but yeah, this is four. Um yep. this is the end of the first third of the season, which makes yep. sense. It makes perfect sense that like, this would be the end of the first yep. third of the season. Um, starting to move the chess pieces around. Right. So you have Daniels and McNulty at a bar. Um they meet up to discuss Perlman. I wasn't trying to uh, wait for an opening. Um, says he wasn't trying to wait for an opening. Says that you know he should he should have told him earlier. Nicky um says you know uh, happy for you both. I have a problem with it. Happy for you both. And he kind of joked about you know, how loud he was at, at at her door. Um, 
and then the thing was to make it easier. And uh, you see Daniels um, walk out the bar, and you see Nick Nolte continue to continue to drink. Uh, what were your thoughts? First of all, did you believe Nick Nolte? I, I don't. This this is not a meaningful scene. Real, I can't even pretend like this is a re- meaningful scene. Because what was the consequence of this, right? Like what what happens out of this? Does I, anything change? I don't see any. No, no. Yeah. That, so that's that, I mean, like it, is, it was a scene that happened. Yeah, it, it's not a it's not a big scene. It's not like it's not it's not a consequential scene at all. It really is not. Nope, nope. There's no drama in it. McNulty says, "Cool," because he was never he's ne- like he never claimed her. So what like what could possibly be the beef? Right. Yeah. yeah. So um, we go to Cuddy. Slim Charles, Bodie, and a lot of a, a few of the other Barcel members they had, a, they had, a, a, they had a house party. They um, Cuddy walks around, sees you know people having sex, sees a you know parking there, people smoking. Um, Cuddy, uh, they give they give Cuddy uh, some, some you know Cuddy some drinks. Some beers and Cuddy, you know, Cuddy mentions, uh, you know, I'm surprised that Avon let y'all get y'all hands up, hands off, hands up like this. And Bodie says, sometimes you got to, sometimes, sometimes you got to. Uh, to the credit of the Barksdales, this this house party turned out a lot better than season one house party. So I, I give him credit from that standpoint. No, no one, no one died in this house party, and, and so they kind of, you know, learned, you know, from that standpoint. This was a completely different last house party we saw in season one. But this is more about, to me, um, this is more about Cuddy and him just being introduced to a world that he just is not familiar with. Like he looks, him walking through that party, walking through that party, he looks completely lost. Uh, played, well acted by Chad Coleman. Um, he, didn't, he didn't look comfortable. He didn't look comfortable, even you know. And I thought the actor portrayed that brilliantly. He just did not look comfortable. So, what were your thoughts on on this scene? I see it slightly different. <laughs> um, I, I think the scene was about um, Cuddy reorganizing himself to 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 the uh, to the to the light. Um, the key statement, and you even said this one is when um, Slim Charles says the game hasn't changed, it just got more fierce. And that's what that's what he's seeing. Um, and so he's just reorientating himself. The reason he was able to clock the girl and everything that was going on is because he knows the game. He knows the game. He knows this. It might look a little bit different instead of being 40s. Maybe he had another type of beer instead of it being weed. Maybe it's cocaine or something like that. But like you said, this is Barksdale crew. This is how they party when they let when they relaxing. This is nothing new, nothing strange, nothing different from that. Um, what I do really, really see what you're talking about, and you're absolutely right. The actor is portraying this perfectly. Is his um, his hesitancy? This is about him, right? And his hesitancy, like like what the actor is portraying. That you so that you pointed out is that um, and that uncomfortable. Like, do I want to be here? Right. Is this the life I want to get back into? 
or is this a life I want to be a part of again? Like, is this good for me? So yeah. that's all that indecision going on on the inside that's being portrayed. And I'll say this, and this, this, this is how great the actor was portrayed this. You did not know which way he would he was leaning into, to be honest with you. When I first saw him, he really does a good job. I mean, it's really kind of, you, you can really see him going either way at this point. So I thought the actor did, I, I thought that the charcoal was brilliant from that standpoint. It's not like he, it's not like you're gonna, you're gonna say, you never saw it before, it's not like you, you were saying, like, hey, you know, he's definitely not gonna be, he's definitely gonna go in this direction, or he's definitely gonna go in that direction. He kind of did a good job of staying in that in between, whether it could go, he could go, he could really go in either way. Uh, he balanced that, uh, he, he definitely played that balance to a T um, uh, during this uh, episode, and up and really up until this point in the series. Um, McNulty at the back at the bar. So McNulty is, you know, the la I mean, the last person at the bar after a couple leaves. Of course, he's going to try to hit on a girl who boyfriend just, just popped up and he recognizes that they leave. So McNulty is the last one at the bar, stumbling out of the bar, uh, stumbling out of the bar as the bar closes down. Um, just giving you, you know, some, some more insight, not even more insight, what we already know. Nah, you said it. So we wrap up back at the Barksdale house party. Um, as Cuddy, uh, as Cuddy is with Slim, Shamrock, and Bodie, uh, a young lady comes up, takes him in the room, and he sleeps with two girls. And you hear. Uh, we see, not here, we see, we see Bodie and Shamrock, not Bodie and Shamrock, Bodie and Slim Charles say he's home now as they, you know, they kind of back up. And then you see the episode, the episode ends on that particular scene. Uh, what were your thoughts on how the episode ended? Yeah, I mean, like, I think that that statement says it all. They, they, they think they clinched the deal and got him back. Yeah, so, yeah. They um did you see this episode as kind of like I just thought about this. Uh you think did you see this episode as kind of like a recruitment, a cutting? You think they were trying to just, like they they're trying to get him acclimated back. He's been he's been in prison for 15 years. He's just coming back. They're trying to get him back into like what they do. Yeah. Uh, we talked about themes as far as I, like, again, the theme that I had was about the truth and the truth and the reality. You see, uh, the, you see the reality of Marlo right now controls the main territory. That's just a, a reality. And the Barksdales are, you know, are playing second, basically playing second, second fiddle right now. You see the reality of the fact that no one is acquiescing to Colvin's new plan uh, as of right now, as of now. So he has to deal with that part. Uh, and you see, um, you see Lester give it to McNulty in that particular scene in regards to, and I, I'm in regards to you know who he is. Yes, you know, you are about yourself. You do, you are, you are toxic. You are cancerous. You are toxic. 
So, uh, and of course, we see COVID at the beginning of the episode, given the given the community members the reality of that what drugs are not going anywhere anytime soon, and these you know, and this is how it is. So, a number of realities and a number of truths that were MC McCuddy talking to his, talking to you know with the supervisor about where he's at right now, and that probably probably leads him going to go back into the life. Uh, as of right, as of now, in, in regards to his current situation, uh, being a prisoner, um, basically being an ex-convict with not a lot of opportunities, and the easy, you know, the easy, the easy play is you know go back, like, go back into the game. Um, MVP or who's your MVP? Uh, my MVP is Bubbles. Yes, uh, Bubbles. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. That's definitely. I mean, he he clocked he clocked the entire yes. game for Kima and McNulty in a day, a few days. Um, yeah. I had to tell MVP. you. I had to tell you as MVP because I I felt like he just uh, felt like heavy. I just uh, you, you know you talked about Marlo's presence. You felt you kind of felt. Cuddy's presence in the, over the course of this episode a lot. A lot of well, Cuddy was in 90% of the things in this episode. Yeah, so, so I, yes, you absolutely felt his presence. Uh, so I had him as MVP. Uh, what about the Sharding Award? Sharding Award goes to um, McNulty and Freeman. Yes, I had one of them. That thing was incredible. Regardless of what was happening and the, all the different, like, whatever, just Watching that scene over and over again, I'm uncomfortable. Every time I watch it, I'm like, oh, it's like watching, you know, it's watching your friends fight. You don't want to see them fight. Like, stop. Stop arguing with each other. <laughs> like, when, you know, I'm a start. Whenever you get me to my base, like, where I, you take me out of, like, my analyzing space and just put me into, like, uh, I care about these characters and I don't want them to yell at each other, you've done a really good job. I, I get very excited. Uh, with acting like that, when when I get pulled in, I get very excited. So yeah, that's a hell of a scene. That's just a hell of a scene. No, it was a great scene. I, I, yeah, I had I had three in that scene. So Period, and just because it's just like so sad, it's like it's it pulls in all the emotions, right? Because it's I just have to talk about the scene now, um, because uh, because it's like yeah, you've been waiting for Freeman to say something like this to McNulty because McNulty walks around like he knows everything and nobody's better than him. And you know Freeman's like fantastic police, not good police, like amazing police. So um, if there's somebody who can make McNulty him outside of his direct supervisor, Daniels, it's Freeman. And nobody has more respect in that unit than Freeman. So you were waiting for it's, it's just you kind of waiting for these two titans of this show to butt heads against each other, and they finally do. Uh, oh, they deliver. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Now nah, this was this. They did a great job uh, building the scene up. This was coming. This 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 was coming. The last really the last couple of episodes. Well, it's, and they're, they're, damn, building it up and all that. Stuff. It's just a great scene. Like like everything in the wire doesn't have to be complex and deep. That scene in itself doesn't mean a whole lot. Because nothing else really comes out of that. It's just two dominant actors going at each other. Just there's some things are just good. And you just put them in because they're good. Yeah, no, it was no, it was a great scene. It was a, it was a tremendous scene. Yeah, so yeah, it was definitely a scene. 
So we are a third of the way through season three. Um, you are going to see now, like these next four, so these next four episodes, we're going to see some, like the pieces are being moved and you're going to see, we're, we're going to, there's, there's going to be some Marlowe episodes coming up. We're going to unpack Marlowe, Stansfield, and Carcetti. A lot, a lot of Marlowe, a lot of Carcetti in these next few episodes. Um, and, and of course, uh, you know, another, another character as well. But um, things are going to be moving now. Uh, the pace is going to, they, the pace will definitely pick up moving forward. Uh, these first episodes will definitely do a great job at, uh, of setting up the race, basically the entire season. These four episodes, first four episodes set up the entire season. And now, you know, you know now you're going to see a lot of movement. Uh, this episode is called Straight and True. Uh, episode five, Straight and True. I'm really looking forward to that. As always, thanks to uh, Rob Sapp for joining joining the program. All right, sir. You uh, be healthy, you be safe. Everybody stay dry. No question. That's good. Later. Later. That's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Real Deal Podcast of Wild Remix. This episode will be posted tomorrow. Recordings on Sunday, and you will see this post. This episode posted on Monday. Have a great rest of the evening. I'm out. <laughs>